Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Kidney Talk. I'm, I'm excited today because, you know, every year RSN has an essay contest and we get hundreds of essays and it's so difficult to pick the winners. We have a group of judges and I'm so happy today we have our first place winner, Risa Simon, and she wrote a incredible essay called Desperate Truth Seekers. And the theme this year was, you know, provide an example how you are your own advocate. So we're so happy to have Risa on the phone today. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Lori. Uh, It's truly a a privilege to be on your show. I'm one of your biggest fans. Oh, well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about how you came about writing the essay and, you know, what you know, a lot of people say, I'm going to write something, but to actually go and do something is uh, a little tricky sometimes. Well, I, I think the, uh, the mission that you set out uh, was very compelling, um, especially for me, because I, I found that being my own best advocate really was the, the key to discovering and securing my best life possible. So uh, I... I truly found that uh, project to be not only inspiring, but uh, it, it fulfilled m- much of uh, my journey in, in getting that into written word. So tell us a little bit about your background. So when did you first learn you have kidney disease? Oh, I was diagnosed in my early 20s. Um, I, have inherit- I inherited a genetic disease polycystic kidney disease. Uh, My father, unfortunately, lost the battle to PKD uh, in his early 40s. And of course, I was hoping never to hear the the devastating news that I too uh, had inherited that genetic disease. My my brother and I both uh, received that diagnosis. Um, Mine in my early 20s, his was in his mid to late 30s. And um, you know, I, I really wanted to believe that I'd never feel the full effects of this disease. Um, I also, of course, turning the, rewinding the tape, turning the clock back, I was hoping I uh, would never hear those words. So it was, it was rather startling, and uh, it really did sort of change my path. Now, did you go and get tested? Because I know that, you know, I've met people that have family members who have PKD, but they're like, I don't want to know. Right. Most people don't want to, uh, you know, that's, that's a, a great point, Lori. Mo- most individuals, if they have family history, like me, we saw uh, a father or mother and or um, other family members. I never was able to meet my grandmother because she died at an early age. So we, we observed the suffering. We didn't want to know if we had it. Of course, with insurance, no one really wants to have that diagnosis on their record either, but it's much easier, hey, I feel good, I'm not sick, I don't need to know this, because basically it would just be depressing news. And so most people do wait until they feel symptoms, and sometimes they wait too long. Now, PKD is a genetic disease, right? You basically um, carry a gene that um, makes one, and basically polycystic kidney disease is when, and correct me if I'm wrong, tumors grow in your kidney and it pretty much suffocates it. They're actually cysts. Cysts, excuse me. Exactly. They're they multiple cysts in different sizes and shapes and forms, and 
yeah, they actually take over uh, the function of the kidney when when they multiply and proliferate at the at the rate that they do. And so, yeah, it's it's um, it's a disease that most people have not heard of, even though over six hundred thousand individuals are diagnosed in the, in the United States and twelve point five million in the, in the world. Um, but uh, it's. It's a, a disease that if you did see other family members suffering, it's certainly not something that you, you want to uh, have to deal with yourself. Denial is a very powerful, <laughs> um, you know, like if I'm under the covers and I don't see the monster or the monster doesn't see me, therefore I don't have it. So I can understand dealing with a serious illness that way. But because there's really, once you find out, you can't really do much to prevent it, there's really no cure at this moment. Yep, no treatment or cure. But who would who would have thought that a life threatening diagnosis would lead me to my greatest blessing? You know, I experienced human kindness beyond my wildest imagination. Uh, it gave me uh, a second chance to live an even better life, uh, and I'm so full of uh, abundant gratitude now. And I, you know, I, Lori, I truly, you know, if we could turn the clock back and, and we can rerun the tape and say, gee, Risa, this never happened in your life. You were never diagnosed with this disease. I've got to tell you, standing here today speaking to you, I wouldn't want that, that piece of my path taken out, uh, even for the freedom of not having to deal with this, because I am who I am today because of that journey. And I, I really am grateful for that. I wouldn't have experienced all that I've experienced, and this has led me to my life's work. So you get that. I know you get that because you're one of my biggest heroes. Well, thank you. Adversity does introduce you to yourself. Sometimes you don't always like what you see, and you got to pull it together and make lemonade out of lemons. Um, well, now you had a preemptive transplant. So um, I think a lot of people who listen to this show, you know, they don't know that they have kidney disease and they crash into the emergency room and they don't have a lot of time to really think about what they want to do. So can you explain uh, your journey about the preemptive process and when you actually found out that your GFR was low enough where you either need to transplant or dialysis? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a great point um, in that most individuals don't quite understand or grasp the concept and value of preemptive transplantation, which is, of course, having a transplant uh, before the need for dialysis. And I think, Lori, that, that uh, so many CKD patients, myself included, are among a great, you know, a, a large group of individuals that are told, oh, you have time, you have time, don't worry, you don't need to do anything. And, you know, someone, I think any human being really that is told they don't need to do anything, especially if they're already in the denial or their head is under the covers, um, it just gives them freedom to continue to do what they've always done, which is nothing. And to shoot for the moon, you've really got to be keeping your eye on the target. So um, I wasn't at the stage of needing dialysis when I discovered preemptive transplantation. I was about 29 GFR, and I attended a conference that just uh, really transformed my paradigm and my whole thinking in terms of my path. And I have to confess that I didn't know that dialysis was not as good as a transplant or just as good as a transplant. And I mean, I, I actually thought that dialysis was as good as a transplant. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't understand the difference. And the reason I didn't understand the difference um, 
in looking back is that I wasn't told there was a difference. I think most of us as CKD patients are in our nephrologist's office and we are either requesting or told you should attend this little seminar and it's usually transplant dialysis 101 is what I call it. And you basically get a look at the two different modalities and the different types of dialysis within that um, that model or module. And you say, all right, well, you're looking at, all right, do I want to hook up or do I want to have a major surgery? But there's no discussion on outcome. There's no discussion on quality of life. There's no discussion on risks. And um, that in and of itself really keeps the patient in the dark about, wow, this is something I, I really need to be looking at and I need to, need to be working towards. So they get into those low GFRs. And, um, you know, I had my transplant at GFR 20. Or actually, I was scheduled at 20 and had it at GFR 19, which is... That's a remarkable. I mean, well, there's... Um, I, I just went to a presentation. I, I, I It was probably about six months ago. But they were talking about, you know, the benefits of preemptive transplantation. And when your GFR hits 20, you're eligible to get on the transplant list. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that. And people normally start dialysis, and this is just a general, from anywhere from 8 to 15 GFR. I started about an 8 or 9 GFR. Um, If you're diabetic, they suggest a little bit, you know, like to be closer to 15 or, you know, everybody has their own rules. And it was interesting, but you definitely have better outcomes of when you have a preemptive transplant because you're not exposing yourself to having additional surgeries for access. And then when you have a catheter or a graft placed in your body, it causes inflammation in your body. And so it's definitely better to have a preemptive transplant. The problem is, is that um, tell us a little bit about how um, you had a living donor. So when you're when you're on a preemptive transplant path, you know pretty much ninety nine percent of the time you're going to need a, a living donor. Absolutely, and and I might just uh, also add that in order for me to have a transplant at GFR nineteen, I I really needed to have a discussion with my nephrologist. And uh, as I had those discussions over and over again, I want to be evaluated was the discussion. I was told it's too early. You're way ahead of yourself. Um, I came across, fortunately, I came across an article in the PKD Progress magazine that discussed an ideal time to be evaluated is at 25 GFR. And boy, I felt I had... (laughs) finally discovered the buried treasure is like finally a person of authority. It was a, a nephrologist that had put this, it was a, an interview that was published. And I said, finally, I have a, an authority that is discussing a number beyond what anybody ever discusses. And it's usually less than 20 is when you start this process. If I hadn't started at 25 GFR, I certainly would not be at, I wouldn't have been at 19 and I don't even know if the momentum would have been the same because I was so healthy, Lori. You know, I could keep my spirits up. I had the energy, I had the enthusiasm and I had the drive and I was able to tell my story and it really became more about something bigger than myself because the more I explored, the more I discovered the more I realized I really didn't know much at all, and most CKD patients didn't know much at all. The more you know, the less you know. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I always find out like, oh God, I thought I knew that. So, you know, when you're, when you start to seek knowledge, I mean, I, I feel that I'm pretty educated about um, different aspects, but I learn things every day. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the GFR, when you get transplanted, different physicians have different perspectives. And some of them feel you should wait till like a 12 or 13. So because maybe you could get three more years out of um, your life without a transplant and still maintain health. And there's, there's studies coming out. And I, I like to tell people that it's a medical practice. And we're the people they're practicing on. So people change ideas and thoughts. And you really have to be your own advocate and figure out your own path. Because you're, if you ask two doctors, you might get two different answers. <laughs> you probably will get two different answers on some occasions. Now, tell us a little bit about your living donor. Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> There were several individuals that stepped forward to be tested, um, and that was a process in and of itself. And I, I mention this because the whole idea of starting early is even if you think, oh, I'm going to start this process and my best friend's going to be my donor and I've got the whole, <laughs> I've got this whole thing arranged and I'm good to go and surprise after surprise after surprise, you, you know, it's really not, as you well know, it's not a done deal until you're being, um, <laughs> not even when you're being wheeled into the, operating room but uh, you know once that procedure starts and even then some things may may come up but uh, you always have to be thinking about all right how am I going to work this this process and so I had uh, a handful of people tested and one by one they were all disqualified and um, after a year's worth of uh, sharing my story and, and helping to increase awareness and just inspiring. You know, we have such a void, not just in education for CKD patients, but just in general public, that you don't have to be dead to donate. <laughs> you know, most people think this has to come at the, the end of their life. So uh, my donor happened to be in healthcare, and we met while I was going through the process and I was very fortunate in my exploration process. I wanted to learn more, so I was asking to talk to people that were involved in the transplant process at my transplant center. And I met an incredible human being that, um, as, as she describes, we had a kindred spirit from the moment we met. I felt something magical when we met as well. And she had a, a desire to do more. She, as a, a registered nurse and uh, an administrator of a transplant department, um, had seen so many lives lost due to reluctance in organ donation. And she had made a commitment to herself that she was going to make a difference and talk about being blessed and being at the right time at the right place. Tell us a little bit about the surgery and your donor's recovery time. Oh, well... That was uh, an incredible process as well. Of course, as a recipient, we always are concerned about our donors. And she was, number one, being a nurse, I think she knew what to expect. Um, but she did uh, remarkably well. And I was out of the hospital in four days, and she was out in a day and a half. Um, and we, you know, she never looked back. And it was, as she claims, it's one of the best things she's ever done in her life. And to me, is one of the, the greatest blessings I ever received. I have named her 
her uh, her kidney that she gave to me, um, I, my adopted kidney, MAC, M-A-K, standing for <laughs> Melissa's Amazing Kidney, and uh, surely she has been amazing, but this whole process has just been incredible. It's fun to name your kidneys. My uh, kidney, my fourth transplant was donated from my uh, stepsister, Cindy, and her middle name is Louise, so um, I was like, well, what am I going to name it? And I thought, well, I'll name it Lou, and then Lulu, because I have to go to the loo. I was going to the loo all the time. So I don't know how, you know, how uh, how classy that name is, but it's called Lulu. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think that's adorable. <laughs> Got to be creative with uh, my third kidney was called Denver because it was flown from Denver. It was a perfect match kidney. And uh, yeah, it's very fun to name your kidney. So for those of you who haven't named your kidney, you need to name it because it's a... Uh, it brings so much joy, and you know, we got to take care of it like we would take care of a, a loved pet. <laughs> or a child. You or know, a child, uh, my, yes. my donor, who, who has no children, neither do I, um, and by choice, and, uh, you know, she feels like a proud mother. Every time I get my labs, I text her or email her my creatinine, and she's just beaming. You know, mm. she just loves it. She says, I feel like such a proud mother. And, um, you know, to me, I am caring for this kidney as if it uh, is, you know, one of my own, and uh, it obviously is uh, a part, big part of me right now. And and when I received this gift, um, I received it as as adopting a baby. It just happens to be inside of me, and it, yes, it's just amazing. Now, tell us a little bit, you know, before we wrap up, uh, some of the work that you're doing because you want to share the message with other people who have kidney disease and who are dealing with, you know, just the idea that wow, I'm going to have to make some changes in my life. Well, I, you know what I would I would love to uh, to inspire CKD patients to lean in to their greatest fear. This is something I wasn't able to do for years and years. Um, you know, even being diagnosed in my twenties, you think I would have plenty of time to get it and work this plan. And it was more in the eleventh hour. Of course, it was earlier than most. But I, I really encourage individuals to lean into their greatest fear, which is cor- of course end stage renal disease. And to take themselves out of denial and or off of the procrastination track to recognize information is a powerful tool. And to take a deeper dive, to to question um, what are my options, should I lose, when I lose uh, enough renal function that I'm going to have to look at these treatment modalities. And then to take an even deeper dive into what is the difference between dialysis and transplant. I, I was just amazed to find out um, the incredible difference that, that was not exposed to me as a patient in my nephrologist's office. And I think that's one point I, I really want to make clear, too, is we can't depend on getting everything we need to know from our dialysis offices or from our dialysis or their healthcare team. There's just not enough time in that appointment to be a mentor, a coach, an educator. I mean, they're they're doing the best they can just to look at your numbers and to, to give you advice on your meds and where we go from here, but it's it's not part of that visit. And so connecting to communities and organizations like yours, Lori, I mean, just to be able to communicate with others that have walked this path before them so that they, I mean, I learned so much just interviewing people that had been through this process. It was mind-blowing. And, you know, as much as I know today, I'm still learning. I don't have all the answers, but I do know that what I did do worked. It does work. And if we keep ourselves open and willing to lean into our greatest fear and embrace 
the the process of making a commitment to do the necessary work in advance of need, well in advance of need. And I think, you know, renal groups need to start educating their patients at at the day of diagnosis um, and then phase it in and repeat it and underscore and phase it, you know, give them a little bit more, trickle it in. Uh, it's it's just a process that we have to continue to receive. And, you know, I, I always tell that people with kidney disease and their families, they need to, you know, get on the Internet and obviously go to credible sites and, you know, don't search up, you know, topics and the doom and gloom. But, you know, get involved in Facebook on a, a blog and ask people, like, what should I do about this? You'll probably get 30 answers, but then it'll help you figure out what you want to do. We have kidney space. It's a bulletin board. We have a hope line. We can call and talk to other patients. And, you know, just, you know, like you said, be a, a seek out information and then the answers will come what you want to do because the best way to conquer fear is knowledge. And, uh, you know, if you're not out there trying to seek knowledge, then that little, you know, I, I call it the committee in my head can be rampant. I mean, I was diagnosed with acoustic neuroma a couple of years ago where I had problems hearing in my right ear. It just took out my hearing overnight. And it's a tumor on my inner ear. And they, they luckily, they, they rarely become cancerous. But between my visit of going to the ear, nose, throat specialist and my diagnosis, I looked on the internet and I, I just thought I was going to die. I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm, um, it's brain surgery. And I got to the doctor. He's like, oh, you know, I'm, it's, it's really unfortunate. It's impaired some of your hearing. But these tumors are very slow growing and they never become cancerous. So we just got to watch it. <laughs> and, you know, that like couple of weeks of, of misery that I put myself through because um, I thought I knew all the answers and I didn't. And so um, we have to constantly seek knowledge to be able to manage our care. And, you know, when you're, um, I have this saying, I mean, when you're thinking about the future, it's not very, um, but I'm like, when you, when you have one foot in yesterday and another foot in tomorrow, you're pissing on today. And so, I mean, you really got to focus on what you can do today to help yourself instead of thinking the what ifs that are going to happen in the future. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we have to make also the, the invisible visible as well so that we can focus our best work today on securing our best tomorrow as well as, you know, I love the expression, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And I really think that's how one secures a preemptive transplant. And it's really not luck. It's, it is preparation, but uh, I do feel like I'm the luckiest girl in the whole wide world. And I know that um, the proactive postures that we can take can make a huge, huge difference. Now to wrap up, um, tell us a little bit about your book and your blog. Um, and so if, uh, people listening, if they want to tune in and, and learn more about it. Yeah, uh, my book is entitled The Shift Your Fate, Life-Changing Wisdom for Proactive Kidney Patients, speaking of proactive. And it's really offering new hope for kidney patients. Uh, my goal is to um, create a, a wake-up call for those of us, myself included, who are sleepwalking our way to dialysis. I, I think that this lack of information really leaves us in the dark, and we don't know where to go. And even if we're going to be proactive, you know, how do you go about being proactive? How do you share your story? How do you elicit curiosity and, and interest uh, if you feel that transplant is the way you want to go and, and living Kidney donation is what you'd like to secure so that you can avoid or bypass dialysis, which I was blessed 
to be able to uh, be able to do through this preemptive transplantation. And there's just so many things that I had no idea how I was going to go about it or what I needed to do. And since I learned so much throughout this journey, I decided that I needed to document some of that information in a publication that uh, individuals uh, could be able to start this process and and look to some tips and tools and templates and scripts and and get familiar with, oh, okay, I get it. This is how I reach out more to social uh, arenas. This is how I connect with support communities. This is what my goal is, and this is how I stay positive and focused because, you know, sometimes just looking at your labs <laughs> can get you so down, um, and it, we need to keep our focus. For me, and I, I really encourage everyone through this book, that um, if we keep our focus on all those in need and we keep our message tied into helping everyone, as you do, Lori, on a daily basis, you're my energizer bunny. You're so far beyond what anybody is doing in this arena. And I, I so admire your work and you have inspired me. And I hope uh, through this interview that we continue to inspire others to to take these pearls and to use it for themselves and know that you know, for myself, I was able to be taken off that list through a living kidney donor, and I think it becomes almost a responsibility for those of us that can do that with over, we've got, what, 98,000 people waiting on a list right now. You know, if we can take ourselves off and give somebody else our place in line, so to speak, um, what a what a great way to pay it forward and do something for ourselves as well as the greater good. The book is, by the way, available on on Amazon. Well, thank you, Risa. And um, I really appreciate you sharing your story and sharing your incredible essay with us. You can get that at our website under rsnhope.org. And if you want to learn more about Risa, go to shiftyourfate.com and you can uh, learn all about Risa and what she's doing. So thank you so much, Risa. I really appreciate your time and keep up the good work. Oh, thank you, Lori. Truly a privilege. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.